Good morning. We are always thankful that you are here. You know, it's getting harder and harder during this year to not talk about the unprecedented and times and how uh, things seem very uneasy and uncertain for us. It's, it's getting harder to, to not mention those kinds of things as, as this year has continued on, but uh, we're thankful that you're here. It's, we continue to mention how thankful we are for the live stream that we have and for the opportunity to, to share and worship in that way with those who aren't able to be with us. But even as I was thinking this week about an interesting story I heard, when we think about not only the fact of being able to live stream and share our services that way, but it's of course not quite a new invention, but, but the idea of these little communion packets that we have, and, and even last week as we of course ran a little short and had to back up and improvise, uh, at 7.27 tonight, I don't know how many of you keep up with these kinds of things, but there's going to be a SpaceX launch that's going to be taking a crew of four people to the International Space Station for, I believe, about a six-month stay. One of those astronauts goes by the name of Vic or Victor Glover, and he's actually a member of the Church of Christ down in the Houston area. And he had an interview going on this week, and he said that he was able to send up, with one of the last few launches, a bunch of communion packets and a Bible, and he said, you know, we actually get pretty good internet connection up there. And so he would still be able, even as he goes 250-some miles above the earth, to worship with family back home. And it's interesting as we consider all these things that frustrate us and, of course, are a little difficult and it's a little out of the norm for us, but how encouraging it can be to think about even someone like that or even others who before might have been out of luck when they're away from home and away from their normal place of worship. We're thankful for those opportunities, uh, and it's certainly interesting even we consider uh, stories and ideas such as that. You know, as we go through the Bible, we think about the fact that there are many different word pictures, if you will. There are things that remind us of the way that our earthly life works. I would say that's by design. It's, of course, because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, that the Bible is not something that's above our head or, or that you have to have a certain level of degree to, to read and to understand. But there's a lot of word pictures that are very simple for us. You know, another one that I think about, besides the one we're going to talk about this morning is the idea of, of like the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel, that, and a literal tower. It's not just a, a mental picture for us. It's a literal tower, but there, of course, is the idea that they are building something and trying to reach up to the place where we think of God being. We think about the heavens or, or heaven, and we usually point up or, or something like that. And so here is a tower, but even in a mental picture, word picture kind of way, it's ascending up trying to reach, of course, to God and to be as powerful. In that sort of metaphor way, they're, they're trying to be as powerful as God. They're trying to reach as high as God and be like God. Another one of those that we're going to examine this morning that's a little more prevalent than maybe just the Tower of Babel is the idea of the doors of the Bible. Now, you may see in the corner of the bottom of the picture there, uh, this lesson, or at least the, the outline, the idea, comes from the Ark Encounter. Some of you may recognize those doors if we, as we have had an opportunity, at least as a group here, and some of you maybe as a family or individually, to go up and visit the Ark Encounter. And you can get your picture made in front of the doors there, where, uh, where you know, as best guess, as they're trying to put forth uh, their idea of what it might have looked like, we think about some of the doors of the Bible. When you reach the third level of the ark, as they have created it there in northern Kentucky, you find a series of pictures that goes through in a bit of an illustrated way, you might say. We, we consider it kind of a comic book, but a, an illustrated way. Uh, the idea of salvation and the idea of the doors of the Bible. I think it's based off of something that may be called searching for truth. There's probably a lot of 
publications that bear that name, but, but the idea that you might sit down and study with someone the gospel in this particular fashion. I'm thankful for the idea and the ability to be able to share this with you. I, I would share with you, as we have had an opportunity to go a few different times, that while we greatly appreciate what they do at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, we've always been a little disappointed that we believe they don't teach what the Bible has to say about salvation, not all the way when it comes to what one must do to be saved. We had an opportunity a few years ago to go with the Dunlap congregation and several of the members actually took a chance to write back and to send them letters and to say, you know, here's the truth, here's what the Bible actually has to say. And of course, we never heard back from them in that way, but we're thankful for the way that they get people pointed in the right direction. And one way they do that is with this discussion or this idea of the doors of the Bible. If you've got your Bible, first of all, open to Genesis chapter 5. This morning, because we're going to begin, of course, with the picture that is there at the ark. And the first door that we're going to consider is the ark door. We're going to draw some conclusions as we go through each point, but we're also going to come back at the end. I'm going to give you a few free ones that didn't make your bulletin there that you can jot down. But there are some things that we can learn from the doors of the Bible, including beginning here in Genesis chapter 5. You remember the scene, don't you? Genesis 5, verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you're like me, sometimes we turn on the news and we see things on television, we feel a lot like God may have felt here. I don't know that it's as bad. We don't, of course, fully know because we weren't there in Genesis 5. But certainly we look around us and there's a lot of evil. A lot of men who only think evil Continually, And of course, the response of God in verse number six is that the Lord was sorry. God was sorry for what he had done. This beautiful creation account in Genesis chapter one there that we come through and we see the beauty of it and we praise him for it. He's sorry. He's sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But we see here as we then go forward in this story, in chapter 6 there in verse number 16, God in giving his instructions says, You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And in fact, we go forward to Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1. And the Lord says to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You see, when we think about what's taking place here, of course, we know that the, importance, the important nature of this door. And we're going to come back and talk about it in the end in just a moment, but God gives very specific instructions. And we're thankful, as I said, for the folks at the Ark Encounter and the Answers in Genesis group and the things that they have done to put this forth as a massive structure that we can begin to think about it so long, it's so large, and what it would have been able to hold. But yet here is this door. This single door. And of course, a few of the doors that we're going to talk about this morning, you might say have double doors, but yet one entryway, even though there may actually be two doors in there. But here's the art door. And of course, for our purposes, it's going to represent God's justice and his mercy. When we think about the fact that God is sorry 
And he is so sorry that he is going to destroy everything that he had, in some sense, just created. He is going to rain down his divine justice. We're thankful for that. It's very sad to think about it. It hurts to think about that God would go through with that. But there was a need for justice. And so when God says, come into this ark, and then God shuts the door behind them, he shows not only his justice, but also his mercy. You see, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he is going to rain down his divine justice as he will in that moment. And we will be thankful when he does in the day that he does it again. But we're also thankful for his mercy. And again, we're going to come back in just a few moments and talk about this and a few other lessons we can learn. But we're reminded, first of all, from the art door about God's justice and mercy. If you have your Bibles, go forward to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 and verse, excuse me, chapter 11 and chapter 12. Exodus chapters 11 and 12. Again, a familiar story. Maybe you haven't thought about it in a while. Exodus chapter 11 and verse 1, God says, and the, or the Bible says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And afterward he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here all together. One more plague. Plague. You remember them all? I, I have a hard time remembering them. There were flies and, and there, were, there were boils, there were frogs, there was blood, water turned to blood. All of these plagues. And in chapter 11, God says, one more is coming. And of course, we know what the last one was, what the tenth plague was. And when we think about that death of the firstborn, we think about the second door this morning, which is the Passover door. That's in 11, chapter 11, verse 1 of Exodus, but go over to chapter 12, beginning in verse number 7. After God has begin, begun to describe to them what they need to do in the finding of the perfect blameless lamb, if you will, and then the sacrificing of it, in verse 7, the Bible says, "...and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it." You go down to verse number 11... And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So shall you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute, here's that word again, judgment or justice. I am the Lord. But notice verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, when we think about the Passover door, secondly, we think about God's protection. Can you imagine the fear, uh, uh, wondering if that was enough? Have you ever been told to do something and then you wondered if it was actually enough? You know, maybe it was a medication or maybe it was something that you needed to do to take care of something. You thought, well, I just hope that this takes care of it or I hope this offers protection. They had seen the power of God in many ways already. But yet I would think if we're being honest, they probably had a little worry in their heart. We would have as well, right? Even when we see God taking care of us, we see the fact that we sometimes still worry about whether it's going to be all right. And so here when God says, put the blood on the doorpost, put the blood on the lintel, and I will then pass over the Passover door, God's offering His protection. 
They needed protection because, of course, as we notice with the first door, he is going to exact his judgment, his justice. One more plague. But let's move on to number three. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. When we think about the doors, the different doors that are mentioned in the Bible, you know, I looked it up and I, I since forgot, I didn't make it in my notes, but I want to say it's probably at least 150 times, maybe in both Testaments, so maybe almost 200 to 300 times, the word door is used. We think about doors a lot that are mentioned in the Bible, but as we kind of narrow down to six specific doors for our lesson this morning, the next one that we're going to talk about is described in 1 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 31, and we're going to call it, for our purposes, the temple door or temple doors. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, 1 Kings 6, 31, he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and doorposts were one-fifth of the wall. The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold. And he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So that for the door of the sanctuary, he also made doorposts of olive wood, one-fourth of the wall. And the two doors were of cypress wood. Two panels comprised one folding door, and two panels comprised the other folding door. Then he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them, and overlaid them with gold applied evenly on the carved work. When we think about not only the temple doors, but we might say the doors that we're going to then enter into the holy of holies. You see, God gave specific instructions, and we're thankful for that. Our young people had the opportunity to, to study Exodus a couple of years ago, and, and we sort of struggle with the fact and, and helping them try to memorize all the different measurements and all the different things that went along with the tabernacle, of course, in the book of Exodus. When we move forward here and Solomon is building the temple, there are very specific instructions. And that is because the temple doors remind us of God's presence. God's presence. In Leviticus chapter 16, in verse number 2, the Bible says, God says to, to Moses and to the people, I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. He's going to offer his presence in that place. We're sometimes saddened, I think. You, you hear preachers say from time to time, what if Jesus were standing here? What if Paul were standing here? And we get a little frustrated because sometimes we wish that God would come down or that Jesus could be here and give us his actual presence. But when we think about God's presence, it's, it's very important that we think about not only the tabernacle, but coming forward into 1 Kings, we think about the temple that was built. In Hebrews chapter 10, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 7, we were reminded, but into the second part, that holy of holies, the high priest went alone once a year. Do you recall everything he had to go through? Go back to Leviticus 16 on your own time. We don't have time this morning. But think about all the things that they would do to purify and to cleanse themselves in order for, in order that on the day of atonement they might enter into God's presence. And what it would take to be able to do that. And then offer that sacrifice for the people, for the sins of the people. The temple doors remind us that they were able to come into God's presence. Or at least the high priest was to enter into that place. And what a powerful and awesome thought that was. But certainly what preparation it took as well. That's the reason we don't read Leviticus, right? Or even Exodus sometimes because we get bogged down by all the information. But that's what it takes. 
I think it should remind us that while we don't have God in our presence, we can't enter the Holy of Holies in the same way and, and enter into His presence in that way. It takes a lot less preparation sometimes for us, doesn't it? If you're like us, it didn't take but an hour or so at home this morning to get up and to have breakfast, get our clothes on and come here. It didn't take a whole lot of preparation in the same way, but we can be in God's presence. And we're thankful for the temple doors that remind us of that same thing. Let's go forward to the New Testament now to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Some doors that are certainly continue to be familiar. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 59. After Jesus has died, he's hung on the cross, he's offered his body and his blood. In verse 59 it says, When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. You see, the, the next door we're going to talk about is the tomb door, if you might say. You go forward into Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, and we read more about this door. It is in verse number 2 that there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. And he sat on that stone. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And remember verse 4, what the guards do. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And of course, verse number 6, we saw it on the screen already this morning. If you look there during the Lord's Supper, he is not here. What a powerful statement. He is not here. Everybody knew he was there. Joseph knew that he had put the body in there. And yet here as these women come, he is not here. The, the tomb door, of course, is a reminder of God's power. God's power to conquer death. You see, Jesus hung there on the cross and He gave His life so that we might have power, that we might have salvation. But as we've said multiple times from this pulpit before, it would be nothing if He did not rise from the dead because He said He would. And if He could not fulfill that promise that He made, then we would have a problem with our Lord and Savior. But He did. He died. He gave His life. And He rose again. We think about how great and how powerful it is on that day to say, He is not here, for He is risen. That tomb door shows the power of God. And while it was a momentous occasion there in that moment, it echoes through the centuries. And as long as this earth stands, to think about what that really means. What it meant in that moment as those women are there, as those guards are playing like dead men, shaking with fear, and that angel rests on the stone, and even going forward, as they then rejoice and go share with the others the good news. And I can stand before you this day and we can go out into our community and we can share the good news of God's power. The, sto the, the stone was rolled away. The tomb door was opened. And God's power was on display then and forevermore in the raising of His Son. His Son rising from the dead. How thankful we are for those doors that we already talked about, but, but what about the tomb door as well? Let's go forward again to John chapter 10. Actually backward in the story as we think about what Jesus is going through, but maybe forward on the pages of your Bible. In John chapter 10, we have a very powerful picture of Jesus. This is one of those things. You know, Jesus is described as, as various things. He says, I am the vine and, and ye are the branches. He says, I am the bread of life. And when you study through John and you read those I am statements, one of them, of course, is here in John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10, specifically verses 7 through 9. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You go down to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. When we think about this door, we're thinking, of course, about the, the shepherd's door. We, we think about what Jesus says here. And again, from the tomb, we're going a bit backwards in time to when he still walks. about the fact that he is going to be the one who lays down his life, we of course think about Jesus' sacrifice. When we think about Jesus' sacrifice, we think about the fact that he was willing to give his life. If you're still there in John chapter 10, you go down to the end, verse number 17 and 18 of his particular statement here, and he is saying, I lay down my life. No one else can force me to do it or, or no one can take it from me, but I have the power to lay it down. You see, this is Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice. Do you remember a few pages forward in your Bible? John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 4, we know. But specifically, maybe verse number 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. You see, maybe it's beneficial for us as we think about what we were going through to understand the fact that, yes, while the tomb door is important, it's also important to think about the fact that Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door, and if you come and enter by me, he will, you or he will be saved. Let's go very quickly to our last one, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. This may be a bit difficult as you think about, or maybe a bit difficult to see, excuse me, is what I meant to say. Uh, as I try to borrow these pictures from, from uh, things already on the internet there, you, the, when you think about this picture, there are two ways or two doors that are mentioned. Depending on the Bible that you have, it's more than likely that in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13, you see the word gate. You see, the last door that we're going to talk about is the narrow door or narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate or the door, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. When we think about this narrow door, of course, we're talking about man's salvation. Man's salvation, the prescribed way in which God has said, this is the way that you can be saved. You enter by the narrow door or the narrow gate. When we think about these doors, and we think about not only the tomb door, which is important to the story of Christ, but Jesus saying, I am the door, he also said that you have to enter by the narrow door door or the narrow gate you see when we think about these doors we've learned a little bit about each one we think about God's power and God's protection and his justice and mercy but if you'll allow me very quickly I'd like to offer three more very brief lessons to you that you might can fill in there around your notes 
Three very quick other notes that we can learn about not only doors, but the doors of the Bible that we've talked about. Number one, one. There is one door. In each of these cases, we've noticed there is one door. Now, as I mentioned to you, sometimes you will see double doors, as we call them, but one entryway. But one other thing that we would notice is that, number one, there is one. In the ark, there was one. With the shepherd, there is one. With the narrow way, there is one. You might say, but preacher, there's two. There is two, but there's only one way that offers man salvation. Think about the ark for just a moment. What if some other genius had got the idea to start building a boat over here next to, to Noah, maybe a couple miles down the road? He's, he's building a boat, and he puts ten doors in his boat. You think he was going to be saved? You think that was going to be the way of salvation? Or was there only one door? Which leads us to our second point. These doors are important because they are God-prescribed or God-approved. They're God-approved. Not only is there just one, but they are the ones in which God approves for a person to be. What if someone had started building a boat five miles down the road from Noah? It wouldn't have mattered because God prescribed one door and one way. So not only is there just one, but it's approved. Think about the Passover. Everybody had a door. Who was God going to pass over? Those that had the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. Those who did what God approved of them to do. That is who would be passed over. And so it's got to be God approved as well. There is one, but it's got to be God approved. Think about the temple. What if some people, I mean, they had temples, right? We know about the many gods, little g gods that people had. So, so what if? Well, what if they built temples all up and down the road? Where is God going to be? Where is, does he say, I will appear in a cloud and I will reside? Behind the doors of that holy of holies that temple. It's got to be God approved. But number three, we would notice that there is salvation inside. There's salvation inside. Think about the ark. It's not just seeing the door. It's not just being near the door. It's being inside that door. You think about the Passover, same way. They weren't supposed to, they weren't supposed to paint those things on their doors and then go all hide together in the woods. They were supposed to be inside the doors. There's salvation inside of these doors that we've talked about. You think about the shepherd. Jesus says, whoever enters by me. You think about salvation, the narrow way. Whoever enters in by that way, there's salvation inside, not just around, not just getting close, not just standing at the door. We appreciate Carl always asking usually what I'm preaching about. And, and I told him, I said, good luck. It's about the doors. You know, I don't know what songs you can find, but I'm thankful that he did. And he usually does. Who at the door is standing? You see, we get close sometimes, but we don't actually enter into where salvation is. There's so much we can learn from these doors about God and his power and his justice, his mercy, his presence, his protection, and even our salvation. But let's also remember there's just one that is God approved, and there is salvation inside. If you have your Bibles and your notes out, you might want to be putting them up as we are about to sing this song of invitation that, again, has been carefully selected. By the way, you might notice that it's going to say, Jesus is waiting. He's waiting and he's waiting. Open, now standeth the door. You know, we stop here at the end of our lessons and we extend the Lord's invitation. And we make a moment out of it because we are gathered here and it's a matter of convenience. But that door is open as long as you have breath in your lungs and blood in your body and you have an opportunity. That door is open 
You can enter into it this morning where salvation is found. God has not said that we need to enter physically through a door, but he has prescribed a gospel plan of salvation that you can see and we usually point out because that is the way to find salvation. That is the way into Christ. It is in Christ that you come in contact with his blood and that blood, the power that's in the blood, washes away our sins. We can begin then to live faithfully. For many of you, maybe you've done that. You become a Christian, you've entered by that door, but you know, sometimes we find our way out again. That, that excitement, that life that's going on outside the door, it's a little enticing. So while we enter in, sometimes we find our way sneaking back out into the world. We find sin that separates us from God. And maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself in that position. And you're in need of God's second law of pardon. We're thankful that we can walk in the light as he is in the light. If you're here this morning and there's sin in your life, you can repent of that and confess it. Pray for forgiveness, and he is faithful to do just that, to forgive you of your sins, that you can begin again to walk in that light. Maybe you're here this morning as we're gathered together and we've sung these songs and we've studied God's word. There's something else in your life that you're struggling with. We said it's been that year where there's a lot going on, and you need the prayers of this congregation. We're thankful to join together. We're thankful for that opportunity. One of our elders will be coming forward in just a moment to to talk with you, to pray with you, and we would love to pray for you and with you. If you need to make a change, you can make it known now as we stand together and as we sing.